time to talk training, fitness, and health on the Weight Endurance Podcast. We're not doctors, dietitians, or physiologists. We're professional coaches and your hosts, Cody and Kathy Waite. We've worked with hundreds of endurance athletes over the last 15 years through our training facility, plans, and programs. Within this podcast, we're sharing our own training and racing experiences, along with the knowledge gained from working with our athletes. We'll be shedding light on the training methodologies that we've found to be the most successful in making you a fitter and faster cyclist. All right, welcome back. I'm Cody. I'm Kathy. And you're listening to the Weight Endurance Podcast. We are on to episode number 65. So this episode, we're going to talk about race prep training variations. Okay, so that's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Um, so we've spoken about our race prep training methods in the past. Um, I can't remember what episodes they were, but there's there's some in there if you go look in our archives but um it, you know it is that time of year we're recording this we're at the tail end of spring it's starting to feel like summer and a lot of people if you haven't been racing already are getting close to racing so it's actually a big weekend of racing in Colorado that's true yeah the Gunnison Growler and the Iron Horse Classic so it's been fun to get those updates yeah exactly and we are wrapping up our We Devo program and I guess ourselves sort of the first half of our 2021 season. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked a lot about that in our race prep uh, series of podcasts that we did. Yeah, that was uh, a good one. The last six episodes. And now it's time to really dig into like another round of race prep training. So that's what sort of stemmed the the idea here. And we're going, we have two different sort of variations that I just want to touch on. So it won't be a lot of like here's what you should do as an athlete. It's more like, here's what we're doing and take from it what you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get into the main part of the show, we got another month or two left on our pressery offer, good, um, good, the good, 10 good. bucks off your order. Mm-hmm. And you know we've mentioned pressery before. I had a cup of bone broth uh, last night before bed, loved it. That's sort of your dinner sometimes. Sometimes it is, yeah. I, I like eating early dinners, um, and but then you sometimes before bed you kind of get like a little hunger pang maybe mm-hmm. and like a cup of bone broth does the trick to me and it, yeah I sleep really well after it but yeah pressery check them out online pressery.com sponsors our our we development team for the third year we're very grateful for that and they make fresh uh, noodles and bone broth um, and little noodle kits that are amazing they can be cold shipped right to your door now so that's really really cool so. Uh, we're big fans of that, promoting it. Order online at pressery.com and use the code WAIT10, W-A-I-T-E, and the number 10 in all capitals. And you get 10 bucks off your order or your 10 bucks off your recurring subscription order. Um, so check it out, pressery.com. All right, um, what have we been up to lately? And like a bunch of spring cleaning, you know, that's that time of year. There's Chores. Some, yeah, well, there's something about this time of year where you, the, the grass is green and the birds are chirping and you just feel like having a fresh start. So yeah. we've been just going through all of our rooms in our basement and our garage. Right. You've been sort of a maniac about it. Well, I'm a bit of a, a minimalist, I've been told. Well, we work well together because <laughs> I am the same. And but- I love being organized. So, yeah, I do enjoy going through... Mm-hmm our piles of stuff. I mean, our, our, meaning humans, I think we collect piles of stuff. (laughs) But like, Um, once you get this idea in your head, you're like unstoppable. 
Yeah. I'll like leave to go play pickleball for an hour. And, well, let's be realistic, two hours. And I come home and there's like four more bags for Goodwill. The <laughs> trash can is full. Right. Like, what the hell have you been doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's been May and our, our twin daughters are graduating. Mm-hmm. Well, Sophia actually graduated last year early, but her official like party mm-hmm. um, was to be along with Noelle. So all our kids are done with high school. It's amazing. Congrats to you and, and me, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty thrilled about that. We're done yeah, with high school. They did a great job, too. I just want to give a shout out to them. They did. So yeah. May's been crazy. Um, and yeah, we were, had your parents were over mm-hmm. for the graduation week. We had a, the graduation party. So prior to that, I wanted to dig in and clean things out. We cleaned out our basement, cleaned out our garage, sold a bunch of stuff on eBay. Um, I planted flowers. Planted and flowers. Pruned the rose bushes. Like that makes me so happy to have like color and life all around us. Right. And for us, it kind of lined up fairly well with like taking our mid-season break, Mm -hmm. which we talked about in the last episode. Um, And now we're back to training. Um, I've been back for actually several weeks now, and you've got now a couple weeks under your belt. Yeah. How's that feel? Well, good. And it was actually really nice not to have intervals on the schedule for a couple weeks because life felt really busy and it was a little bit stressful for me to have family coming in town and the party and all that stuff. And so to just go out on my bike and ride for fun mm-hmm. was just what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. I can't I can't complain about that. The weather was pretty nice, you know, cool but sunny and mm-hmm. some rain. It was just perfect. Yeah, I agree. And um, it feels good to be back training. I'm I mean, speaking myself personally, I'm starting to really feel like a build of fitness again because mm-hmm. I know I, I got sort of depleted there. Uh, it, in April and took my break actually a little earlier than planned because of that. And now I've been able to rebuild some fitness. So I'm feeling pretty good. And from a training standpoint, um, you know, with you, me and and our team, we're kind of taking two different approaches now in the second half of the season. And that's kind of what's leading into the main discussion of the show today. But you and the We Development Squad are focusing on cross country. So kind of on our XE program, Mm -hmm. um, as far as a training build towards nationals, which is early July this year and, um, a little bit different protocol that we'll, we'll talk about coming up here and what you guys are doing. And then on the flip side, myself and one of our, we Devo riders, um, Jack Odrin, we're going to be doing the Leadville 100. It's kind of our A race. And so clearly cross country, 90 minute or less cross country race is going to require some different training than a seven to eight hour endurance race like that. So we're on a little bit different program and that's what we'll sort of talk about here. But, um, I'm giggling cause I remember last night you called your dad down in mm-hmm. Arizona and he asked about your training and you mentioned the Leadville race and he knows you've done this race a few times, right? but, but he's a little bit clueless about the ins and outs of all the racing. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time apparently you've mentioned this race is a seven hour race for you. Mm-hmm. And he lost his mind. Like it was the funniest thing. Yeah, that I'm was in the fun. other room and I hear seven hours. You're racing for seven what? hours. What? You're <laughs> what? And I'm thinking, Dad, like Cody's fast at seven hours. There are some people that are out there for twelve hours. <laughs> yeah, or more, I think. So Oh, that was funny. That was kind of funny. I don't think it ever clicked for him, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I don't know what he thought. The Leadville 100. Like how long does 100 miles take? Maybe that was 100 minutes or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so two different training approaches, and that's what we'll 
talk about coming up. Um, oh, and before we do, I wanted to... We, so we've been using the Whoop. Um, what would you call it? Like a, a wearable... It's a fitness wearable? Yeah, Is I kind of just tell people like, oh, it's like a fancy Fitbit. Right. Because there's some sort of reference there for people. Yeah, that's a good... It's a starting point at least. Right, right. So... We talked first about this way back, I think, in February of this year when we were down in Arizona because we had treated ourselves to Whoop um, wearables for as Christmas gifts mm-hmm. to one another. And now we're, we've had them for about six months or closing in on six months. And um, I wanted to share with our listeners just kind of what we have experienced and what our thoughts are on mm-hmm. it and that sort of thing, too. So um, should we start with that? Yeah, I think it's... An interesting conversation. Okay. Because I remember last fall, one of the kids in the team, Toby, said, hey, should I get a whoop? We didn't really know that much about it. I think I knew Kate Courtney was wearing a whoop. Mm -hmm. And that was really my only reference point for it. Yeah. And we said, no, buddy, just like spend your money on something else. It's it's fine. Like that's just more fancy data. Mm -hmm. But now five or six months into it, I, I would say that I think it's worth the money. And in fact, we asked him to go ahead and get one and he did and I think it's just going to be really helpful for him and mm-hmm. all of us like just to know more about how we're sleeping how we're recovering how the strain of our exercise in our lives are affecting our bodies yeah absolutely um so let's share more specifically about our experiences with whoop but I guess even before that so anyone not familiar with whoop um it's basically a, a device that you wear on your wrist it looks kind of like a watch but it's not a watch it doesn't tell you the time or anything um, in fact, it doesn't tell you anything while it's on your wrist. It's just recording data, um, predominantly heart rate-based data. So it's kind of taking your pulse and whatnot. The main feature or the main metric, I suppose, is um, HRV data that it's collecting along with things like your pulse rate, like a heart rate monitor would, um, sleep information, which is also related to your pulse and HRV and everything. And HRV, for those unfamiliar with it, stands for heart rate variability. And so put super simply here is, you know, our our heart beats at a certain rate, that's heart rate. But rather than measuring how many beats per minute are happening, it's measuring the distance or the time and the variation in the time between the individual heartbeats. Does that make sense? Yeah, this was a new concept for me. I hadn't no familiarity with HRV prior to having the whoop. And I didn't know or did not understand that what one wanted was a greater variability in your heart rate um, timing. Right. So think of it as like, like we're not machines and we don't, our heart doesn't beat exactly the same like. Like a metronome. Pace, like a metronome, exactly. And there's, there's, there is variability between the individual beats, mm-hmm. regardless of the speed of at which our heart rate is beating. And so they've determined over lots of scientific studies and, and, and everything that the, vari- the level of variation is directly related to the amount of stress that your body is under and things like the cortisol levels and all your stress hormones and um, all, the, all the cognitive load, physical load, all these things that your body is experiencing, the, the more stressed out you are or more sort of under pressure you are or under load or stress the less variability mm-hmm. occurs and the more metronomic um we become i suppose 
Whereas on the flip side, the more sort of relaxed, recovered, fresh, fresh, yeah, you know, less stressed, the more variability occurs. Yeah, that was really a new concept for me. I did not understand that you, your body was saying that it was healthier and fresher if you had more variability mm-hmm. in your heart rate. Yeah. So this kind of measurement and tracking this sort of data has been around, I'd say, I don't know exactly, but in, in my, I've been aware of it probably for about five years or so. Mm-hmm. And for about three years, I've experimented in, well, first of all, I try to read and learn as much as I can, listen to as many things and read as many things as I can about it because it is interesting and about three years ago, I started like measuring it. Um, it first came out or was first accessible that I found out through uh, some different apps on your phone that you could use. Um, one of them being HRV Plus for training, I think was the name of the app. But how is it, how is it reading your pulse? So it was pretty cool technology. So you, well, initially when it first came out, you actually strapped on your heart rate monitor strap mm, in okay. the morning. It connected via Bluetooth to your phone, and you lay there in bed for like a minute or two. Oh, I didn't know this. And relax, and it was getting the data from your heart rate monitor. And then it would it would spit out and tell you what your HRV is, and then you collect enough days, it would kind of tell you like if you're above average, below average, you know, where, where you sort of were. And then as the technology in the app evolved, it got even better that where you could use the um, camera and the with the flashlight and the, like the light shining through your finger. So you'd put your finger over the top of the camera. Again, you're, you're laying in bed. Yeah, and the, so then the, the flashlight goes through your finger and it's then it can kind of measure your, your heartbeat and it would collect it that way. So you, same thing, you'd lay down in bed, you'd turn the thing on, you'd put your finger on and you have to like, it takes you through like a, the rate at which you should breathe so you're not breathing oh too fast okay. or too slow. I had no idea you were doing this. Yeah, and so for every morning when I'd wake up, I'd lay in bed and do this little measurement. Okay. Um, and this was a couple of years ago. I think you remember me. Well, I remember you doing stuff next to me, but I would usually get up and go downstairs and start my like water and coffee right. routine. Yeah. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> and yeah, and, and it, it was definitely interesting like collecting the data but what was tricky is like interpreting the data. Okay. And and the app, to be fair, did a great job of presenting like the graphs and like a lot of the really sort of techie, advanced graphical metrics. Mm-hmm. And the guy who created it, um, he's been on a lot of different podcasts um, in various places about talking about his app and just heart rate variability in general. And it was it was interesting, but it was in my opinion difficult to interpret and to then utilize in one's training. So eventually I kind of got over it, mm-hmm. um, stopped using it, kind of, you know, went on with life. And then it was like last end of summer, um, I tried the Aura Ring. So that's like a more modern way to measure um, heart rate variability and, and like sleep metrics and walking metrics and all that sort of stuff. Kind of a fi- advanced fitness tracker as well. And it's a ring and the technology is super cool because it's, it's literally just looks like a nice ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it collects all that data. But again, that one to me, it wasn't geared towards athletes. Right. It was geared towards sort of the average person, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a fitness enthusiast perhaps, or someone just looking to improve their overall like health and lifestyle. It did not understand, you know, four plus hours of <laughs> riding a bike right. and exercise. Like that always blew the metrics through the this. roof. Yeah. 
And so it just, it didn't understand that. Um, it wasn't built into their algorithms, I guess, right. for like endurance athletes. You were an outlier for their program. Right, right. And the sleeping metrics were really cool, really interesting. I'd say on par actually with the WHOOP. Um, but the exercise activity metrics and then like the recovery aspect of things. And that, and then that's where the WHOOP kind of came in. So that's when we, I got really interested in wanting to compare the WHOOP to the Aura Ring. Mm-hmm. And that's when we decided let's do it for Christmas presents to each other. And so we landed on the WHOOP and... You know, initially, it was sort of the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, we're collecting all this data. It's interesting. You know, what right, is it what actually it telling us? Yeah. yeah. What are we going to do with it? it? Exactly. And it really took – at first, I wasn't that overly impressed with it. I mean, it was, like, cool and interesting, um, but I didn't find it terribly, like, useful because I wasn't, I guess, sort of, like, ex- accepting what the data – was and telling Mm -hmm. me, I guess. Um, and I think a lot of people probably fall into that boat. Um, I mean, give an example about that so people can make sense of it. Like you'd wake up and you'd open the app yeah, and you'd see something like what, and then you'd. Yeah. So, so whoop does a great job of actually, once you sort of have it calibrate to you, which. And I think it takes a month. It takes at least a month in my opinion. Um, I think they'll tell you a month. Mm Mm-hmm. But it might even take more. I think it improves the longer you use it. Um, but they do they do hands down the best job so far of they use this like red, yellow, green system of recovery or readiness to take on strain or to apply a training stress and really make it pretty straightforward. You, you open the app and it tells you you're yellow today, okay, which mm-hmm. means you're like, you know, reasonably capable to take on strain. So, you know, what do you do with that? But I think where it gets a little tricky for some people, um, and, and myself initially, before I sort of understood what it was really telling me, is that, you know, if you, it, it's not telling you, like, like if you wake up and you're green, that you're going to have, or sorry, if you wake up and, and you're in the red or yellow, that you can't, like, have a great performance in training or racing. It's not telling you, like, when you're going to have a great performance. It's telling you, rather when your body is primed to take on stress or training mm-hmm. load. And so what I've learned is it's like telling you when to train a bit more or perhaps a bit harder. Than, or a bit less. Or a bit less, depending on the scenario, you know. Right. And so it really becomes this little coach on your wrist that you wake up every morning and right. it's telling you, okay, today you're, you're red. You need, you, maybe you did too much the last few days and you need to kind of back it off or, or on the opposite, maybe it's telling you you're, you may feel tired, but you're actually, your HRV, your autonomic nervous system is primed and ready to take on some more stress. And so, okay, let's go for it. Let's go for a little longer ride or let's do a little more intervals or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be on the day. Yeah, I started thinking about a sponge as soon as you said what you just said about how it's telling you what your body can ab- like absorb or take. It's like you have the sponge that's like it's totally saturated with water, and that's when you wake up and you're in the red, and the, the sponge can't really absorb any more water than it has. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with the sponge necessarily, mm-hmm. but it can't take on any more water. Right, right. But when it's, you know... When you're in the yellow, you the sponge only has maybe half the amount of water in it. And when you're in the green, the sponge is like dry. It's like, let's do it. Let's go do soak up the load. Let's yeah. go do like a good ride here. 
Yeah, so it's it's really interesting, and I'm really becoming quite keen on it. <laughs> to use a word I don't use very often, but it's like <laughs> it's so trendy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's actually extremely useful for people because for years we've told our athletes, you know, we, we write a training program for for them, we hand it to them, you know, whether it's you know a, a multi week custom plan or if it's like a coaching athlete that we're mm-hmm. writing out every few days what to do. But regardless, like listen to your body. If you don't feel particularly great on a given day, you need to adjust your training. And in, mo- in the context was usually if you don't feel particularly great, be willing to like back it off, mm-hmm. take recovery, do a little less. Rarely is it do you have to tell a type A athlete, you know, if you feel good, do more. Right. But what this data is telling us is when you are ready to take on more. Mm-hmm. But listening – to your body is like a pretty complicated skill. Um, and I've really recognized that coaching with the junior athletes mm-hmm. the last few years and, and telling a junior athlete, like, how do you feel this morning? You know, listen to your body. Like they really, they haven't lived long enough to be able to pick up on those cues, mm-hmm. right. Of when they're tired. And quite honestly, most teenagers are overly tired all the time anyway, cause they don't sleep enough. And that's just kind of the way, way it is. So, while it's good coaching advice, listen to your body. Um, and I will keep saying and it. And we'll keep saying it. It's just a tricky skill to It's learn. really hard because they make plans with each other. Like, let's go ride. Let's go meet here and ride for three hours. And they wake up and they're in the red. Are they going to cancel those plans with their friends? Right. Usually not. Yeah, because that's awkward and it's disappointing and it's FOMO. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So... Actually, Sophia, our daughter, she went up to Breckenridge on Friday to spend a couple of days riding with a friend. We did a really good hard workout on Friday morning before she got in the car and, and left. On Saturday morning, she woke up at 9,000 elevation feet, opened up her app, and she was at 1%. Yeah, like completely deep Completely in the red. In the red. Like, I didn't know that it would read 1%. Right, so what the whoop was telling her is that her autonomic nervous system was completely stressed to the max so mm-hmm. and she why? was so mad yeah <laughs> <laughs> well we tried to talk it through with her like okay first of all you went from five thousand feet to nine thousand boom right yeah changing a large amount of elevation right. for your where you're gonna sleep has a huge effect yeah then well what else well you had a pretty damn hard bike workout on friday it was 85 degrees and, and hot it took it out of you right um, and we've been used to riding in around 60, 60 degrees. Right. Yeah. And so this was like the first hot day of the it year. It was really hot. Yeah. And she was red, 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 red. And then it was a stressful drive up to the mountains because of, uh, because of Memorial Day traffic. She'd actually never driven on I-70 by herself. Yeah. And her first time ever, she was in bumper-to-bumper traffic. So tons of cognitive but, stress. like m- humans, especially younger people, do not want to like factor those things in. That's what I find so fascinating about WHOOP. Like when you see like a low recovery score, low yellow or definitely in the red, it, it gives you pause to consider what might have caused stress in my life. The obvious ones are lack of sleep or a hard effort in an exercise session. But then you have to like process other things like did I have a, a fight with a friend? Did I have a stressful project at work or school? Did I, did I have a very stressful drive up to the mountains? Did I go to higher elevation? I mean, we're not robots. We have to think about like what is causing stress to our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Yeah, and then using that data in one's training is the mm-hmm. next step, the next key to it, you know, because it's easy to collect the data, but then mm-hmm. using it and making the adjustments in your training is, I think, the difficult part for people, either because they don't really know mm-hmm. or they just aren't willing to make the adjustments or see, recognize, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, make the adjustments. Well, it can be frustrating. Like, it can be frustrating. If it's... If you're a weekend warrior, you have the most time on the weekends and you wake up on a Saturday morning and you're in the red and you had to plan a five-hour trail ride through Buffalo Creek with your best buddy, right? are you still going to go? You know, that, that's your one day to do your five-hour ride. Right, right. So it is tricky. But using the data is the key, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, this is no different than um, looking back at other ways we've collected data over the years. I mean, in the 80s and 90s, the heart rate monitor became available to people and, you know, it was one thing to get a heart rate monitor and you have that big strap on your chest and you're going along and it's like, oh, my heart rate is, you know, X, Y, Z. That's great. You have the data, but are you actually using the data in your training? Right. And then in around the 2000s, it was like power meters became very available to people. Same exact thing. It's like, okay, now you've got this cool data collection device on your bike telling you how much work you're doing. But how are you using that data? Are you putting it to good use to actually help you modify your training? Same thing here. This is like the next frontier. Okay, now we can measure, you know, physiologically our our heart rate variability, and it's letting us know what we're able to do, capable or not capable of on the given day. Are you going to use that data to modify your training to really optimize things? So I think it's really cool um, and exciting and, you know, it's, it kind of goes along with the saying of, you know, what gets measured gets optimized. Mm, right. You know, I look at it akin to as I'm training for Leadville, you know, it's time to like start really like being super specific for me about my diet because mm-hmm. I want to get down to like a specific weight mm-hmm. um, that I know works well for me. And so to do that, I have to switch over. You've seen me do it where I have to like start really paying attention to what I'm eating and I eat healthfully normally, but it's more about the quantities, you know, and counting like the calories and making sure I'm getting enough fuel, to, food to fuel my training, but not so much, you know, I want to trim things down so I can change my body composition just enough to optimize for the race. So track the calories, I can get to one where I want to get to. Same idea, you know, measure your heart rate variability, then you can optimize your training. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. I am too, actually, right? I didn't, like when I was saying things like how disappointing it can be when you're, when you're in the red, it was not to say that one shouldn't like respect what the, the data is telling you. Like mm-hmm. if you can have the discipline to do that, I think it's better. It, it just is like a commitment to it. Like I need to trust that the data is accurate. And you, I'm, I do believe it is. Like when you really start processing like, oh yeah, I did have this happen and this happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep well the last two nights okay, I'm just going to go out to the garage and do some core work and maybe take the dogs for a walk, and then we'll try this again tomorrow. Right. Right, and it's hard, I think, for a lot of people to to let go of that, Mm -hmm. but it does unlock some pretty big potential, I think. Yeah, Um, that was the word that I was thinking, too. Like, yes, you may miss out on this workout you had in mind that day, but it unlocks a potential for an even better workout the following day or a better race the following week. For sure. For sure. And then also the sleep metrics that you get too are really Mm -hmm. interesting. But not only the sleep metrics, but really it's like once you wear it long enough and it starts to really calibrate to to you, the individual, that 
you start to figure out also things that like help you recover, help your autonomic nervous system do its thing and, and sort of de-stress. De so then you can wake up the next day and mm -hmm. stay on track with your training program. And so, you know, just paying a little bit more attention to how much, you know, when are you getting to bed, you know, how, you know, um, the kind of foods, you know, lower inflammatory foods in your diet, um, making sure you're rolling and stretching, making, you know, I've added like taking warm baths a couple times a week, you know, before key training sessions to help make sure I'm, you know, it's in the green or as close to the green well, as I can get. Well, you're also a sleep champ, <laughs> but you are doing extra things. Like you've really decided that 7.30, 8 o'clock, you're winding down, you're off your phone, you're up in our bedroom where we have like a big carpeted area and you're rolling and you're stretching and maybe you're like kind of loosely watching like a, a bike race, like the, which race was just on? The Giro de yeah. I can never pronounce <laughs> it right. And just winding down. And that's been a good example for me because I do tend to kind of go, 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 go. I'm, I'm down in the kitchen, like doing something at eight o'clock and you're like, hello, like wind it down, girl. Yeah. And the biggest metric that's become clear to me from the sleep data is that I need a, a lot of time in bed because I don't sleep very solidly. Right. I usually have like 90 minutes to two hours of wake time. It's a little shocking when I see that. <laughs> so if I'm going to get the seven and a half to eight hours that I need, that I have to be in bed for like 10 hours. Right. So I have to go to bed early. And it's something you wouldn't have really noticed no, or identified. I, it's so true. Like I always have known that I need eight hours of sleep. I had no idea until I was, you know, in the whoop thing and reading the app data that I am a worse sleeper than I thought. And I'm awake for 90 minutes at least. Right. So you have to factor that in factor with your bedtime, in. wake mm -hmm. time, all that sort of yeah. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, value, I think, to, to using the whoop. And, and recently, I think we might have spoken about this in a previous podcast, but, um, you know, I was... Well, I completely lost what I was going. Oh, I distracted <laughs> you with making an emotion. That's all right, but um, would you want to tell people how they can get um, a deal on the Whoop, and then maybe it'll come to you? Yeah, so we've actually reached out and um, established a partnership with Whoop, which is one of the reasons we're talking about it, but we're so excited about it. Where um, you can get a Whoop um, for free, basically, get your first month of the app for free. And then choose your six, twelve, or eighteen month subscription um, that goes with that. So, if you go to uh, join.whoop.com forward slash with we, so remember we stands for weight endurance. Um, you can get that that discount. So you basically save thirty bucks off of the basically your first month is free, and then if you sign up, for example, for the six month plan, you'd have five more months at thirty bucks a month. Um, going through that. And if you go for 12 months or 18 months, obviously it gets less expensive per month as you go. So it is a, a subscription program, but you get the hardware, the wristband itself um, for free and the first month of the, the app service. And, you know, I think it's something I, w I would recommend doing. I mean, we've been using the data from the Whoop now for a couple of months, integrating it into our training. So like uh, we have what, five of us, for the WeDevo riders and two of us, so six of us, um, using the Whoop. And I've created this, I've adjusted everyone's training program where given what level of recovery they wake up on a given day, 
their training on that day is slightly modified. So if they're green, it's one thing, you know, it's like you're primed and ready to hit it hard. So like, let's do this set of intervals or do a little extra volume if it's a volume day or whatever the case may be. If you wake up and you're yellow, then it's sort of like follow the plan as written. Like you're kind of in the normal range, you know, Mm -hmm. ready to do the kind of the normal training. And then if you happen to wake up in the red, it's like, Hey, you know, you, maybe you feel good, maybe you don't, but it's like your body's not ready to take on a lot of stress training load. So let's back it off. And then I have this, the suggestion there. So it's kind of a really cool way to have me sort of telling them what to do on a daily basis. What you like to do? Yeah. (laughs) That's in line with, uh, no, I think it's genius. It, It was again, one of your bike ride ideas that came to you. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks. And it's, um, it I seems mean, to be good. working. I think yeah. so too. Um, I mean, just in the last few weeks building up as I start the build up for Leadville, it's been kind of eye opening and, mm-hmm. and really thinking about maximizing the recovery so I can do the most amount of training oh, that's yeah. appropriate for me the next day. Um, and then when it doesn't happen to pan out, then I know to back it off and yeah, that's, it. that's what I've seen with you. It's, it's this, um, pretty intense motivation to take good care of yourself after your bike workout so that you can do what you have on the plan for the next day. Right. Like you're better at it than I am for sure. Cause I'll, I'll like run out the door and go play pickleball for two hours. And that doesn't always pan out so well for my recovery score the next day. <laughs> and you're at home rolling and stretch, stretching and taking a, um, an Epsom salt bath. Right. So very interesting. So check it out. If you've wondered about Whoop, we give it two thumbs up. Um, I think it is very useful. It's just a matter of being able to then use the data. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the the trick. And that's the same with anything, heart rate sure. monitor, power meter, all that sort of thing. Will so, you put the link in the show notes? Yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes. And um, I'm excited about the partnership with Whoop that we're just getting going here. And we've got some things in the works where... Um, we'll be able to incorporate some training strategies for individuals through our training programs based off of WHOOP data. So it'd be something to consider getting um, and getting some weeks and months of calibration right. with your with yourself with the WHOOP. Um, so when we do get those things going, people can jump into that. But um, I'm pretty excited about it. So as you can tell, we've been talking about it for many minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Um, all right, so we get on to the main part of the... What? That wasn't the main part? The show here? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's talk about our race prep training variations. Um, and more specifically, like, if you're training for a short course race, mm-hmm. which would be sort of like two hours or less, let's say, if we're going to put a number on it, versus like a long course race, which would be like a four or five plus hour race. In our case here that we're speaking specifically about is cross-country national championships on the mountain bike versus Leadville 100 on the mountain bike. Pretty drastic events. Um, but to kind of set the stage, so our, our standard downloadable training programs, um, we're talking about first you do your base builder. We've talked many episodes about base builder stuff, but essentially you are ascending from low intensity up to higher intensity energy systems over many weeks and months in some cases. And that builds that base fitness. And then once you come to the end of that at a 
peak. It usually ends with the peak power sprint workouts. Then we switch over to race prep training. And then the race prep training we have in our stock plans are um, 8, 10, or 12 weeks long, depending mm -hmm. on the event that you're training for. And essentially what we do is we s now start at the top where you left off building your base fitness and descend through the energy systems, going back down from high intensity where we left off down to the lower intensity. And then the duration is determined by the duration of the event that you're training with the idea that you finish the race prep build in in the intensity level that you'll really sort of rely on the most in your event. So for example, the 12 week race prep, stock race prep program goes all the way through, starts at anaerobic power, then goes down through VO2, goes through anaerobic threshold, aerobic threshold, and eventually just basic endurance riding, like really maximizing volume. Because when you're doing a long course event, you are relying heavily on that aerobic and aerobic threshold energy system. Oh, so the race prep stock plan for a long course. Right. Okay. It's long because we're working our way back down through all the energy systems, basically, and really extending our endurance mm -hmm. because we're training for a five, six plus hour event, so which relies heavily on endurance, versus the shorter eight-week program goes through anaerobic power, VO2, and anaerobic threshold, and then has you taper and peak. Because a shorter race, like say a sub three hour race, is going to rely heavily on that anaerobic threshold and VO2 max energy systems. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of the standard concept there of yeah. what we do. And they're really great. So if you are looking for a race prep plan, check them out on our website, weightendurance.com. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, these we've had, we've been leaning on this formula of training for many years and it's proven to be very successful um this year so i want to move on beyond like the standard what you should do and just talk more about what we're yeah. doing well it is interesting because we're kind of at a you and i often do the very same things but mm -hmm. now we're like at a, a crossroads and you're going one direction and i'm going the other you and jack are down this road towards leadville and sophia and i are headed towards nationals right so, you know, what are we, what are we doing? So with our WE development team and you um, for cross-country Olympic, um, for national championships, we're talking about a, depending, you know, say 70 to 90 minute long race, mm -hmm. give or take. Um, although honestly, for the, the age group, the master's race, two years ago, it was like, it was actually on the longer side. It was like an hour 40, 45. Yeah. Um, cause they were like longer laps. It they may be different this laps, year, but, yeah. um, but just to call out a number, 90 minutes yeah, that's is a what good we're, round number. we're sort of targeting roughly. Um, and what we've definitely learned, we've known, but we've, it's become extremely obvious this year is that cross country Olympic races rely heavily on the anaerobic power energy system. And I think mm -hmm. that's going to definitely be the case for our junior athletes. If the nationals course is similar to what it was two years ago right. for your race um there may be a more of a reliance on vo2 and even anaerobic threshold because there's a fairly long climb right um but for the juniors i think they're making a little shorter course but okay. at any rate it's a heavy emphasis on anaerobic power like close to that top end um power um so what what we're doing for 
the team and for you um, targeting nationals is after the midseason break that we've just taken, we are going to then ascend again from low. So we'll actually start with some low intensity and build back up to that high intensity right. training. So I think you I may... like that too, because it sort of eases you back into that like hard, hard work. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was so glad, as I mentioned in our, what have we been up to segment that it was just nice to get on my bike and go ride for fun for a couple of weeks. Right. And that's what we told the, the junior riders on right. our team. It's like, okay, we're not going to do any intervals for two weeks. You know, it's just going to be like, go ride your bike, find the fun in it, get some endurance, um, you know, that sort of thing. And I agree, it kind of establishes even a more obvious break point or Mm -hmm. or like restart of the, of the build, um, through that. And now like just this week, you guys started, um, with the anaerobic threshold type stuff. So So we had some eight minute efforts at like race pace, like like a long climb. FTP-ish, yeah. And I personally loved that workout, and it was a good way to sort of dip your toe back in the water of interval sessions. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. So for two, so in two week blocks, mm-hmm. you guys are going to do, yeah, the anaerobic threshold. Mm-hmm. So intervals around FTP, reasonably long, eight minute ish long intervals for two weeks, um, a couple times a week, and then you'll transition to VO two max intervals for a couple of weeks. So they'll get a little shorter, mm-hmm. a little more powerful. And then transition again to the anaerobic power. So again, shorter, even more powerful. Um, these are all workouts. In fact, we've spoken about these workouts in more detail in previous episodes. But that's sort of the progression. We're going from the the longer, lower intensity intervals up again through the shorter, higher intensity intervals. Mm-hmm. Similar to how we would do in the base builder program. It's almost like going back and to some degree repeating the base builder, but in a much more condensed version. And also outside on the mountain bikes that they're going to be right. racing that's, on. That's a big difference is most of us are not outside doing these workouts. Whereas a couple months ago, we were on the trainer still, and that's its own challenge. Right. Exactly. And we've also mentioned that we have a f- very firm, steadfast belief that workouts should not be complicated. So yes, we are repeating workouts because these are the ones we think are the foundational, fundamental workouts. Exactly. Yeah. And we've gone on about that before that you'd want to do the same workouts over Mm -hmm. and over because then you can identify where you're at and, you know, what level you're at. I had that experience this week. As we, as you mentioned, we are doing these eight minute anaerobic threshold workouts. Mm -hmm. Well, last year we did the the exact same workouts at the exact same place. Sophia and I would get on our mountain bikes, ride from our house over to our local trails, the green mountain system, meander around over to this long fire road. And we do eight minutes up, turn around, come back down. Well, last year, I was recovering from a year off, basically, with my IT band injury. Mm-hmm. And these were hard, and these were a little discouraging because I was only getting to, like, this certain spot on the trail. And I had remembered from years past I'd gotten much further. Mm. It could be a little demoralizing, but you just I just had to stick with it. <clears throat> like, well, this is where I am. Like, eight minutes got me here. Yeah. Well, this week, I did the session twice, and I made it way past where I had made it last mm, year. Yeah. And even, I would say, even a little further up the trail than I had a couple of years ago when I was in good shape. Oh, okay. It was really encouraging. Yeah, so that's really taking it to the furthest extent of repeating workouts, mm-hmm. like literally on the same exact trail or fire right. road. And honestly, that's the best way to do it because you could see exactly like 
exactly where you were at compared to previous seasons. Um, I mentioned that to Mia, who's on the team with us, and, and she said she'd had the same experience last year. Okay. She'd had a head injury. I think she'd fallen in a race. Not a race, because we didn't have... Oh, at work. She heard herself Oh, that's at work. right. At yeah. work, she like had a cold, and she passed out in the parking lot, hit her head. It was very, very scary. Thankfully, she recovered, but as she was getting back into workouts, she was at the fire road doing the same workout, and oh my gosh, she was like, Kathy, look down there. That's where I ended. Like It was like you know, a quarter mile down. Right. And we were way up the road. So she also had a boost of, wow, I'm really in good shape. Yeah. This is where I am on this workout today. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And that's one of the many values of doing Mm -hmm. very repeatable workouts. Some people think it's monotonous and maybe boring, but I love it. (laughs) It's actually highly effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's the idea is we're going to go through those two week blocks building intensity as we go and then um two weeks out from the main event we'll start tapering down and um get you guys kind of peaking for the races in that sense and then that then also allows you guys to basically set your up set yourselves up for the third half of the season and Mm. that's in quotes because that's silly third half but (laughs) Um, I didn't even get it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, you know, we finished the first half, we took a break. Now this is our next block of build and peaking, but it leaves you with the opportunity if the desire is still there um, for the end of summer and into fall for um, building up towards cross country marathon nationals. So then you guys would be switching from this short course focus to more of a medium Mm -hmm. to long course focus for marathon nationals. And you would have just built up from low to high intensity, which would hopefully will lead to a peak level of fitness for the A race. But then you'll be able to work backwards from high to lower intensity as you work out towards cross-country marathon. So, um, Well, hopefully the USA Cycling will issue a, a date and a place so we know if there's even going to be a race. Yeah, we're still waiting to hear on that, but... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So that's another reason of setting it up yeah. in that regard. So we can um, continue the, the fitness building into the late summer and, and fall for those for those final events. Sounds good. Yeah. So then on the flip side. Yeah, what um, are you and Jack doing? For, yeah. So for our Leadville training, um, we are incorporating cross-country nationals into the plan, but kind of uh, at a lower priority level. Mm-hmm. But we're going to do more, I guess, closer to like a traditional um, long course block that we are start. We we've started from the higher end, mm-hmm. um, coming off of a spring, early spring sort of peak. Took our break, and now we're going to start at the higher end and work down to the lower end because obviously Leadville, you know, seven eight hour races requires heavily on the endurance side of things. So we're going to stick with a two-week energy system progression, but instead of going up intensity, we're going to go down in intensity and then also increasing the volume as we go, um, as we do that. Um, Are you sticking to like a 10% increase of volume per week or is it different because you know your body really well after all these years? It's about that, yeah. I think yeah. For, for, I'm trying to think my specific numbers i think it's about a 10 percent okay increase um we're gonna do we're actually gonna spend four weeks focusing on the anaerobic threshold energy systems which is a little bit different than our than my like stock plans um and 
the way we're doing that is we are going to spend two weeks focusing on the kind of low end of anaerobic threshold, which would basically be what we would call our 64-minute power, um, which is more or less right around FTP, 95 to 100% of FTP. And then we'll do two more weeks focusing on the top end of anaerobic threshold, which is more in relation to our 32 minute power, which for FTP people, it's like 106 or so percent of FTP. It's a little bit higher. So rather than doing two weeks of anaerobic threshold within that range, we're going to separate the two. Mm -hmm. The reason being is there are some good steady climbs in Leadville that do rely heavily on being able to ride, you know, very near your anaerobic threshold. Um, and so I, I feel that there's some value for both of us to to be doing that um, in our build-up for that. And then we'll have, that'll culminate right before cross-country nationals. So hopefully that will parlay into a good result at nationals. I mean, if it does, great. We shall see. Yeah, if it doesn't. I think you're going to do well. Um, thanks. And then after nationals, we're going to switch in, we're going to do three weeks of an aerobic threshold mm. training block. And honestly, if a race like Leadville for someone like Jack and I who are targeting, you know, around the seven hour mark, we'll spend the majority of our time that aerobic threshold right, right. energy system over the course of those seven or so hours. So that one's super emphasized. Yeah. And that's why we want to spend three weeks. Um, I'm planning to do that at altitude, you know, nine, 10,000 feet of altitude to further simulate, um, that for Leadville. And I know from last summer doing a similar training block, aerobic threshold block in Winter Park, that it really worked well. Like my body really responded to me. It did. To me, I mean, we did a whole me. podcast episode about that, I think. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, it was so cool. It's so exciting. And I really enjoyed the training. So my hope is to sort of recreate that after coming off of like the high intensity stuff. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I'm like at a little higher level and then build that deep fitness for, for Leadville. Um, with three weeks and then we'll have like a two week taper into the race to kind of shed the fatigue and get ready to ready to go for race day. So, you know, those are just two examples of kind of creating a custom training plan um, for depending on what kind of events people are racing. Well, maybe you should just plug that you do custom training plans for people, people all the time. So yes, mm -hmm. the stock plans are great, but if you want to reach out to Cody, he will, um, work with you one-on-one -on -one and take, take that plan and make it perfect for your life and your fitness level and your goals. There you go. Well, there you go. Well, you love doing them. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah. And, um, it's been something that, yeah, I, I have really enjoyed helping people with, and it, it's very rewarding to, set them up with that yeah. custom plan and and then they send me the email after the event everything went so great and um so yeah so those are good examples of how you can sort of take our a standard training protocol that's proven and successful but maybe it doesn't line up exactly with the number of weeks you have or where you are you know in the moment in your fitness and progressions and tweaking things to sort of optimize the the, the program the training for oneself for their key events. Um, yeah, and then the last thing is like, don't forget strength maintenance when you're in mm, the so important. race prep time of the year. It's easy. I think a lot of people 
can do really well, be pretty diligent with strength training in the base season. Mm -hmm. And then when race season kind of comes around and you're starting to get closer to your A event, a lot of times the strength training slips away. We strongly advise against that. Um, in fact, so much so that I think next our next podcast episode, maybe we'll talk really specifically that sounds good about to me. the strength maintenance. Yeah, just let me know. I'll be here talking about it because I am a firm believer in strength maintenance. Yeah, strength it training. keeps my back strong and my aches and pains Absolutely. Yeah, and what's funny about that is like if I start to feel like, oh, my back's kind of like sore after this ride, you know, if I've been adding yeah. up, it's like, oh, I need to go do some strength training, Yeah. some extra strength training to alleviate the soreness where it's counterintuitive maybe. It is. But... I had that conversation with my dad when he was here because mm. uh, he, he also had the same back surgery I did, um, a spinal fusion for a condition called spondylolisthesis. Mm -hmm. So obviously I inherited the back condition right. from my papa. Um, and he, I had my surgery 10 years ago. I think his was 12 years ago. He is 75. He is a athletic guy. He plays a lot of golf. Yeah. He's a, good uh, he's a very good golfer. Yeah. But he told me while he was here that his back hurts him every day. Right. I'm actually surprised he can play so much golf with his back hurting. Yeah. Um, and he, we just talked it through and I showed him some things in the garage and, and, but what it came down to is this idea that I used to think. And I think a lot of people do is that if my back hurts, I should just go stretch and rest. I shouldn't do anything else. Right. But what we have learned over the past four or five years, wouldn't you say, is that like the number one thing to do to reduce the back pain, hopefully alleviate it, is to go do some sort of like core activation, some hip hinging movements, lightweight deadlifts, foundation training, something to get all those muscles stronger and activated. Mm hmm so, yeah, I just had to be kind of honest with my dad. Like, dad, the problem isn't stretching. Like, stop stretching. You need to, you're just not strong enough. You're, you're not weak. Strong, yeah. like, and I had a friend say that to me years ago like, stop stretching, do strength exercises. But mm -hmm. I, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know how to do it or, or what to do. Um, but his words ring in my head. And I said the same to my dad. And hopefully, he's going to get back in that routine as he gets home, you know, gets home with mom and. Oh, fingers crossed. I hope he gets disciplined about it and he has less back pain. Yeah, and I think that's a common scenario for a lot of people as we get older, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's called sarcopenia. Oh, I that's didn't even you, know that word. That's yeah. losing muscle mass or strength as you get older. Yeah, I know sarco means death in like Latin derivatives. Okay. So Penia yeah, must I don't be know what that muscle. Means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're losing Someone muscle. Someone can write in. Yeah, and if you have back pain, it's usually because you're not strong enough. Right. And so you need to really do that. So that's why we incorporate strength training. So, yeah, let's talk about that in our next episode because you've really... Oh, I should have saved the story about my dad for that episode. You've really come up with a great program um, that is available for people to download and use and takes very little equipment. And um, we've talked about it a little bit here and there on, on previous episodes, but maybe we'll take a deeper dive into that because okay. I think it's really important. Um, I'm still lifting at least twice a week, um, even though I'm, as I'm building up, you know, volume towards Leadville, it's still critical. I am that. too. And honestly, some days I get nervous, like, oh, am I going to be able to do my intervals the next day? But I just have to stay committed to it. Yeah. And if you're regular with it, right. for me, I, I don't feel it affecting my intervals so right. much. It's more just like, I actually feel better, honestly. Right. So... Very good. Um, well, thanks for listening. Check us out online at our social media things like Instagram. What, what's your Instagram? 
Kathy Tank Wait. That's right. And mine's Cody Wait. Pretty straightforward and simple. We're also both on Strava, um, sharing <laughs> our rides. I've been adding more. Um, well, I've been adding the green, yellow, red indications on my rides. Yeah, and just yeah. I try to explain like. Not explain, but at least shed light on what I'm doing on my ride. So okay. if people are interested in my specific training, follow me on Strava. Check that out. And we're also on Facebook um, and then our Weight Endurance Instagram. So a lot of places you can find us and see what we're up to. Um, and website, weightendurance.com. If you have any questions about what we've t- talked about today, um, you can definitely email us. You can email me at cody at teamweight.com. Or you can email Kathy with a K at Kathy at teamweight.com. That is true. And, um, yeah, that's it. Rating and reviews. Oh, rating reviews. That'd be really great. (laughs) I had a cue I didn't see. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, check out the show notes for different links for deals and whatnot. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Everything we discuss on the Weight Endurance Podcast, we integrate into our annual Base Builder training program and downloadable training plans. Our Base Builder program is an annual online virtual group training program with us as your coaches, allowing you to build your best cycling-based fitness possible to prepare you for your next riding season. We also offer downloadable training plans for base building, cycling-specific strength training, and specialized race preparation for road, gravel, mountain bike racing, and everything in between. Consider our training plan subscription service, where you gain access to all of our training plans for as little as $20 per month. This allows you to easily switch between plans to create your most complete annual training progression. Regardless of the type of cyclist you are, by becoming a part of the Weight Endurance Training Community, you're allowing us to help you become a fitter and faster cyclist.